Our Bible reading this morning is from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Uh, you'll find it printed in your bulletins, and you might also have an app on your phone. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This is God. Summertime is the time of year for the blockbuster movie, right? So you've got block, blockbuster movies that just came out recently, like Incredibles 2. I went to see it on my vacation, by the way. Awesome. Jack-Jack is amazing in it. You really want to go just for Jack-Jack. Uh, Ant-Man versus the Wasp, stuff like that. Like, these are fun stories that uh, summertime, I don't know, that, that's what Hollywood does. They put these out over summertime, these great stories, these epic stories. And what we did last summer was we, we went through an epic story in Scripture, the story of Esther. And this summer, what we're going to do is we're going to go through another epic story. We're going to go through the epic story of Jonah. It's this great story about a prophet who is sent to a city, but uh, rather than go there, he uh, tries to escape God, and he uh, is swallowed up by a fish after a tremendous storm, uh, and then eventually he is vomited out by this fish onto shore, thankfully the right shore, and then he made his way to Nineveh where he preached against this great city, and the city underwent a revival. That's the sort of basic uh, narrative of the story, and it's a great story. It's a fascinating story, and what's interesting about the prophecy of Jonah is that it's, it's more story than it is prophecy, um, but in this story, we, we receive a tremendous set of challenges to the church. This story challenges a lot of the preconceived notions that churches have about the way they are, what they believe, how they believe it, how they behave, how they operate as a church, the motives behind the things that they do as a church, etc. And we're going to, hopefully, over the, 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 the few weeks that we study this book together, hopefully we're going to have some of these uh, uh, hidden motives and preconceived notions sort of exposed and uprooted uh, among us uh, in our own hearts and in our collective uh, life as a church. Now, all of that sounds kind of vague, I know, and that's because, you know, I haven't written all the sermons, so I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but the Holy Spirit will guide us as He speaks to us through His Word, and uh, my prayer is, is that we'll come out the other side uh, strengthened and encouraged, convicted and refreshed and ready to take on the next sort of ministry year in Grace Valley, you know, September through June is sort of the main ministry year uh, in a Canadian church. Uh, I'm hoping that we're, gonna, we're going to have set the trajectory well for the next year of ministry here in Grace Valley Church. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three verses this morning, and hopefully we'll get three lessons out of those verses, and they're going to serve kind of as the building blocks, the, the foundation for what comes over the next few weeks, okay? So very simple, three verses, three lessons. Let's go together to the text and have a look. 
It says here, oh, one more, yeah, I always do this, eh? I said, let's do this, and then I f- remember something. Um, there's, I know there's questions about Jonah, like, did he really get swallowed by a fish? Did that really happen? And if you're wondering that, I will tackle that question. I'm not going to skirt around it and try to avoid it. But we'll come, we'll come to the question when we come to that part of the story, okay? So we're going to talk about the whole fish thing next time, not this time. All right, now let's start. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Let's stop right there. Jonah, who is Jonah? We don't actually know much about Jonah. The Bible doesn't say a lot about Jonah. He's only referred to in one other place in the book of Kings. What we do understand is that he was a prophet under, uh, during the reign of King Jeroboam. He was a prophet in what's called the northern kingdom. So by this time, the time of Jonah, the nation of Israel had had a split and you had the southern kingdom, which was the kingdom of Judah, and you had the northern kingdom, which was the kingdom of Israel. He was part of the kingdom of Israel. He was a prophet in the kingdom of Israel. And his contemporaries were uh, guys like Amos and Hosea. And so that means he ministered around 750 to 700 BC in that place. And he was a good prophet in this sense. His prophecies came true. So he uh, had one famous prophecy. He predicted that the northern border of the state of Israel would be restored after having been destroyed uh, from previous enemies. It was going to be restored in order to keep Israel safe from their enemies, the Syrians and the city of Damascus, and that actually happened. So, he's a successful prophet. He's a true prophet. He's a good prophet, if you want to put it that way. That's verse 1. Verse 2, it goes on and it says that God came to him and said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, this is actually pretty striking. Not because God is telling Jonah to judge one of the nations around Israel. That's not all that uncommon. Lots of prophets did that. That was kind of common (laughs) for the Old Testament prophets to stand up and speak God's word of judgment, not just against the people of Israel, but against the nations around them. What is unique is that God tells Jonah to leave and go to Nineveh to do it. Most of the prophets, actually all the other prophets, they they do this from home. They're in Jerusalem or they're in Galilee or wherever they are, and they preach from their home nation to the nation that God is speaking against. But God tells Jonah that he should go to Nineveh to preach against that great city. Now, what's Nineveh? Nineveh was the capital of the nation of Assyria. Nineveh was on the eastern bank of the Tigris River, sort of where Mosul in Iraq is currently. So if you're not sure where that is, go Google that after church, and then you'll, you'll be able to, to figure that out. Um, and Nineveh was the capital city of this nation, Assyria. Now, Assyria at this time was the biggest nation on the planet. It was sort of the world power, okay? And they were an absolutely 
brutal and dangerous people, and the city of Nineveh was a brutal city and a very dangerous city. Their, their king, who resided in Nineveh, of course, as the capital, referred to himself as the Almighty One. All right, no ego problems there. Uh, and when they would conquer a nation, they would typically choose a rebellious, a particularly repel, rebellious part of that nation, and they would brutalize that group within the nation to use them as an example for the rest of the nation to see that if you mess with us, if you try to rise up against us and rebel against us, we will bring the smack down on you like you couldn't believe. So they are a very, very dangerous people. And now here God is telling this one Hebrew prophet to go into the heart of the, the, the biggest power in the world that is a brutal and terrorizing power and speak about the judgment of a foreign god to them, meaning the true god is the foreign god to them. That's what Jonah is being told to do, all right? We're often pretty hard on Jonah for disobeying God, but think about that assignment. Like, uh, Jessica, my wife, she has an uncle who, during World War II, he was, uh, at, at the age of 18, he was captured by the Nazis. He lived in the Netherlands. He was captured by the Nazis. He was taken to a work camp in Germany. And after having been there for a number of months working, he escaped, actually, and he walked all the way home from Germany back to his home in the Netherlands. Now imagine, imagine if that happened to him and then God comes to him and he says, now, Kos, that was his name, I want you to go back to Germany, back to the place you were, and I want you to speak my truth to them, your worst enemy. I want you to go and minister among them. That's, that's a tough job. Don't you think? That's a tough pill to swallow. Wouldn't you agree? And that's why Jonah wants nothing to do with it, right? So it says uh, in verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship, this assignment, and he had to be absolutely desperate to do what he did. See, first of all, Jonah's, Jonah lived near Nazareth, Nazareth, which is up uh, along the Sea of Galilee. He lived in a little village near there. And Joppa was about 80 kilometers southwest from there. And they did not have the 401. They didn't have the Queenie, although maybe it's not much faster today uh, if you've been on the 401 or the Queenie. But he's got to walk all the way down to Joppa to escape God on foot. Okay, that's 80K on foot on these lousy roads. And then on top of that, he gets, a, he gets a boarding pass for a ship bound for Tarshish. Now, two interesting things about that. One, Jews were kind of afraid of water. Not like small water, like the Sea of Galilee, but big water, like the Mediterranean. And the reason was, was because if you know your Bible, you, you, your Old Testament, you would know that... Big water, the sea, represented chaos and the realm outside of God's domain. So that's where evil resided, that was where danger resided, that's where chaos resided. And so Jews didn't like to go on the Mediterranean and on big water, you see. But Jonah books a, 
a, a passage on a ship headed for Tarshish, which would take him to the other end of the world because Tarshish was in Spain. And that was at the other end of the Mediterranean Sea, which was essentially at the end of the world for Jonah. So Jonah, he is running as far as possible, he, as far as he can, to escape this calling that God has put on him. Okay? But notice something, and this finally we're getting to the first lesson. We've gotten through the three verses, but now we're getting to the first lesson. Notice that twice it says Jonah ran away from the Lord. It says it at the beginning of verse 3, and it says it at the end of verse 3. Jonah was fleeing the Lord. In other words, he wasn't just trying to get away from the assignment, according to the passage. He was trying to get away from God. And here's the first lesson. To run from God's calling is tantamount to running from God. To run from God's commands is to run from God Himself. To disobey what God calls us to do is to run away from God Himself. Now, maybe you're going, wow, a duh. But think this through with me. Jonah's a prophet, so he's like a minister, okay? He's in full-time ministry, And up until now, he's been doing everything that God has been telling him to do. He's been preaching about Syria, and he's been preaching to the people of Israel, and he's he's been successful. He's been doing a good job of it. Now God gives him one new assignment that he says no to, and that one disobedient act constitutes running from the Lord. So here you are. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're in church, at least. God wants you to go to church, so you're like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm going to church. What else does God tell me to do? Oh, he tells me to read the Bible. Okay, I can do that. I read the Bible. God tells me I should pray. Okay, I'll pray. God tells me I should be generous. All right, I'll kind of give some money. But then God tells me to do that. And I go, well, that one, I'm not so sure I want to give up that one. God tells, sorry, I'm not sure I want to do that one. Or God tells you to stop that. You fill in the blank. You know your stuff. You don't need me to give you your example of your things. If you're a Christian, especially, you know the things that you're holding on to that God has been calling you to give up or the things that you're supposed to start that God's calling you to do that you have said no to. And God says, look, you can obey in lots of places. That's fine. But if you don't obey in the place that I'm calling you to obey now, you're running from me. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be a... I've been telling you for a long time that you need to stop binge-watching Netflix and do something useful with your time. Ooh, all of us were like, honestly, but it's like summertime. That's binge-watching seasonness, right? Like, it doesn't have to be big. There's, look, if if you're not a Christian, I want to make sure you understand something about Christianity. I, I don't consider myself a salesman, but I want to make sure you understand what I'm encouraging you to embrace, and it's this. When God calls a person 
like God did with Muhammad today. And he puts his mark on him. And he says, you're mine. What he means is, every single part of you is mine. I get your brain. I get your body. I get your money. I get your relationships. I get your vocation. I get your future. I get it all. It's all mine. I want you to understand, if you're, if you're wrestling with Christianity, I hope you are, I hope you're attracted to it, I hope you find it strangely appealing, but I do want you to understand that it's an all or nothing thing with the God of the Bible. He gets all of you, and there's no way that you can hold anything back. That's what we're understanding here from, from, from this passage. When you try to hold something back from God, you're running from God. And constantly Christians will be like, you know, I'm, I'm well, I shouldn't say constantly, but look, we all do this to some degree. Believer, unbeliever, we're the same in this regard. All of life is about learning to submit yourself to the absolute, complete, total, comprehensive lordship of Jesus Christ. What is it, what's it look like for Muhammad to follow Jesus now? Well, we've talked about this many times. It now means you spend the rest of your life learning to submit that self-will to the will of God. And we all succeed to degrees and fail to degrees. But that's why the gospel message is a gospel of grace. Because in our failures, God comes to us and says, give that thing up for me now. Start doing this thing for me now. And you say no, and you say no, and he just relentlessly, like we're going to see in the life of Jonah, he just relentlessly will not let it go until you do. That's the first lesson we learn. If we're running from God in one place, or if we're disobeying God in one place, we're running from God himself, not just, yeah, I'm not going to say it again because I just said it. Lesson two, back to the story. God tells uh, Jonah to do what? Go and preach against this great city. Now, what does that mean? That means he says, I want you to go to this city and preach my judgment. Tell them they're wrong. Tell them that I'm angry. Tell them that they are doing evil. Tell them that they need to turn from their wickedness and embrace me as their God. That's what God is telling him to do. And the second lesson is this. God's rebuke, it's a word we don't use much, but I think we still know what it means. God's rebuke is an act of grace. God tells Jonah to go to these people and say, you're wicked and I'm going to bring the smack down on you. And when you read Jonah's actual sermon, it's like a total fire and brimstone sermon, right? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Take that. That's all he says. But that, even that, this reckoning that's coming, telling them that this reckoning, that's an act of grace. Now, listen, this is not popular, I'm, I know what it's like to be a preacher in a modern world. I'm a preacher in a modern world. And I tell you, right now, if you call out sin, if you go to a society and a culture and you say to that society, that culture, what you're doing is wrong, you need to turn, here's what you'll be told. You're an intolerant bigot. That's what you'll be told. You're power tripping. You're trying to, look, 
The way we ought to live in our society is live and let live. We shouldn't judge one another's lives or the society as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a whole, we should just live and let live. You do your thing, do your churchy religious thing, and I'll do my non-churchy, non-religious thing, and we'll get along just fine because we value individual freedom over anything else. But what we're discovering here is, is that to call out sin is actually a work of God's grace. Jonah knew that, okay? Jonah understood that. You know how we know? We know he knew that because he didn't want to do it. If you go to the book, uh, to the end of the book, if you don't know uh, the book of Jonah, it's not very long. It's only four chapters long. But at the end of the book, it says in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 4, it says, To Jonah this seemed very wrong, <laughs> and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was, a, was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Here's what Jonah says. I knew they were going to repent. I knew they were going to listen. You're going to send me there. I'm going to tell them that you're mad and that they need to turn, and they're going to turn, and they're going to get saved. You're going to relent, and that's precisely what happened. But that would not have happened if Jonah had not preached his sermon of rebuke. See, here's the hard truth. You can't have the good news of the gospel without the bad news of the gospel. Because without the bad news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel doesn't really sound all that good. What's the gospel? Jesus lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died. You will only care to know that Jesus lived for you and died for you if you realize you needed him to. In other words, if you understand that you're a sinner, look, if somebody gives, sometimes you can get, receive a gift and the gift is almost like a, it's almost a little bit of a backhanded slam, right? Like, let's say, one of you gave me a gift of a bottle of Listerine. Well, thanks. But maybe I need it! Don't you dare do that. <laughs> you just tell me, hey, you could use some Listerine. Here's a piece of gum, buddy. But do you get what I'm saying? You can only realize the goodness of the gift, though, if you understand that you need it, it's an act of God's grace when he shows us how badly we need his salvation. That's lesson number two. The rebuke is an act of grace. And then lesson number three. And it's, it's, a, it's a sad lesson, I hate to say it, but it is. Amazingly, we can so easily still miss the extent of it. Here's lesson three. You can be very religious and still have no clue about the heart of the Christian faith. You can be very religious and still have no clue about the heart of the, religious faith, of, of the Christian faith. Listen, grace is the heart of the Christian faith. If, if you're here and you don't know a lot about religion, can I just tell you, investigate the world's religions. Go ahead. Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, even Judaism. New Age stuff, anything, any system of thought. 
the dividing line between all the religions of the world and the Christian faith is basically summed up in one word, grace. Christianity is a religion, a faith of grace. What is grace? It's undeserved favor. It is undeserved kindness, okay? And that means it's a gift. It's not earned. It's simply received. It's simply accepted. But here's the thing. If that's how it works, that means anybody can receive it. Anybody. Even the filthiest, most murderous, raping, destroying, pillaging nation on the planet like the nation of Assyria. And Jonah, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go there because he said, those Assyrians, frankly, deep down in my soul, I don't want them to be saved. They don't deserve God's grace. They don't deserve His salvation. They're too wicked for that. Listen, God's kindness is for people like me and my people, good people, kind people, understanding people, people who get it, people who try hard, people who understand people who are working for it, but my enemies, my enemies, do you know what the Assyrians have done? And God, you're just going to let them get away with it? You're going to be gracious to them? You're going to be kind to them? Those wicked savages, you need to bring the smackdown on them because that's what they need. But you see, he didn't understand. He didn't understand. Look, if the gospel is about grace, and the Christian faith is about grace, then nobody is deserving of God's kindness, but nobody is disqualified from receiving God's kindness based upon their lives. Look, the story of the gospel is that centuries after Jonah, there was another prophet and that prophet was sent by God to a foreign country. He, he was Jesus Christ, whose country was heaven itself, where he existed from all eternity in the bosom of the Father and was celebrated and glorified as he deserved, perfectly and purely by the heavenly realm. And he was asked to go to a foreign country, and he left all of that behind, and he came to that foreign country, which is this world, to a place that would not receive him with a message that people despised. He didn't run from God's call. He accepted God's call. He said, I'll go. And when he came close and, and, and brought his message to us, unlike Jonah who escaped Nineveh with his life, he didn't because we grabbed him, we took him to the cross, we nailed him to it, we spit at him and we mocked him and he did all of that. His Jonah's Fear was realized by Jesus, but he did it willingly so that we could receive that grace. You know, there's a, a, a woman by the name of Corrie ten Boom. I've, I've talked about her before. Some of you are familiar with her. She grew up in the Netherlands during World War II. Her family uh, hid Jews, and um, they got caught. And so they were arrested, and they were sent to concentration camps. And her and her sister were sent to a concentration camp in Ravensbrück. And uh, 15 days before Corrie ten Boom was released from Ravensbrück, her sister died in that concentration camp. 
but she was released. She wrote a book about her experiences uh, called The Hiding Place. It's a pretty phenomenal book. Go ahead and read it. But anyhow, at one point in that book, she tells the story of how after the war, she was preaching the gospel uh, in places and telling her story in places. And, and she was at one church where she told the story, her story, and she shared about God's grace and God's for- forgiveness. And afterwards, a man came up to her and she looked at him and she recognized him. She went, Pokey doodle. It's one of those jailers. It's one of my jailers from Ravensbrook. This is a guy who was a soldier in the Nazi army who worked at Ravensbrook. This guy, he would stand at the showers while we while we showered, and he would stand guard over us women and 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 uh, and ogle us, and and he would make remarks. And this guy was there when we were being beaten, and and this guy was there when we were being worked to the bone. This guy was there for all of that. And this man, he walked up to her. And he was smiling from ear to ear, and he said to her, Fraulein, a bunch of things, how, how, how good to see you, etc. And then he says, how wonderful, as you say, all our sins are washed away. And he put out his hand to shake her hand. And as he did that, Ten Boom tells us tells how her mind flashed back to the concentration camp and being there. And then she writes this. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. So you know why the gospel, underneath it all, why the gospel is so repulsive to people? Really? This is in the church and out of the church, Frank, by the way. Because people look at it and they say, it's too easy. It's too easy. You just receive it. Now, that's fine for me. I'm a good guy. I don't break the rules. I pay my taxes. I care for my family. But that jerk down the road, that slime ball, all they got to do is believe and they're forgiven? That's the wonder, you see, because it's not too easy. You see, people say, how can the wicked get away with it? And the answer is they don't. Yes, you and I are sinners, worse than we know, but the gospel tells us that we are more loved and cherished than we ever dared hope. Why? Because nobody got away with anything because Jesus took it. You just don't realize that you needed him to take it as much as the jerk down the street needed him to take it. Jesus gave his life for you. He died for you. Fanny Crosby In one of her hymns, she writes, O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God. The vilest offender who truly believes, that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Again, friends, I see lots of faces that aren't super familiar to me. And that means I don't know where everybody's at. But I do know this. If you have even the slightest doubt that you can be forgiven, 
I'm here to tell you, expel that from your mind because Jesus' blood, there is no deep, there is no pit so deep, but Christ is deeper still. You know who said that? Corrie Ten Boom's sister before she died in that concentration camp. Let's pray. God in heaven, uh, I don't even know where we're supposed to go with this message. I didn't have a big, so therefore go and do this kind of application. I, I just pray that everybody here would cling to the incredible truth that we are saved entirely by grace, that we would not be religious-minded people who think that we are earning points with you by how we behave, but we would be grace-saturated people who rest in your favor upon us, one through Jesus Christ. And do in our hearts whatever it takes to make that happen, because if you do, Lord, we will be people who follow you in faith and obedience. We won't run from you. (laughs) We will run to you because that's the only response that makes any sense. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.